In the small town of Boonraga, Australia, population 36, there was a very normal-looking building made out of wood, painted beige, metal roof. It's a memorial hall, the kind of hall that country villages build so they've got somewhere to hold meetings, to have weddings, all the kind of things that they want to be able to have in the little town. It's called Cactoblastus Memorial Hall. And unlike all the other halls that country villages tend to build, this one was named after an insect, the Cactoblastus moth. And Cactoblastus, well... It's pretty plain, too. It's a very dull little moth in itself. It's about just under two centimeters long, head to tail, so to speak. Brown, homely. It'd be easy to pass by and think, nondescript building named after a nondescript insect. But there's more to this story. It's a small hole with a very big story behind it. The Cactoblastus? It isn't so nondescript after all. I'm Johanna Mayer, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we consider Cactoblastus, a humble moth that traveled across the globe and became the hero of a continent. After this... time I took a road trip. How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. This story begins in colonial Australia in 1788. And it all started because British soldiers stationed on the continent wanted red uniforms. At the time, red dye came from another insect called cochineal, and cochineal eats cactus to survive. But there are no cactuses native to Australia. So the Brits ordered a big old shipment of prickly pear, a giant bright green cactus with thick, wide paddles that sprout out here and there. They're a nasty, spiny cactus that takes over the ground. Dr. Rachel McFadgian, she's a retired biological control scientist with the Queensland government. And Rachel, and pretty much anyone else who has ever worked in biocontrol in Australia, 
is very familiar with the Pricklate pear. Because after the British brought over that first shipment of cactus, it started spreading. People liked the plant, made a good fence and a hedge, and it spread on its own. It began to be covering the ground quicker than people could control it. The issue, of course, is there are no cactuses in Australia, so there are no insects or diseases that feed on them. So they had an open slather. So then the second reason is, of course, there's huge areas of Queensland and northern New South Wales that have an ideal deep black clay soils and an ideal climate. It's heaven for cactus plants. Then there are birds that spread the seed. So one way or another, it's rather like, you know, letting children loose in a candy shop, if you like. They, they took over. It wasn't overnight. By 1900, about a century after that initial shipment, prickly pear covered 10 million acres of land in Queensland. Two decades after that, it had taken over 58 million acres, meaning nearly 15% of the entire state was prickly pear. This was a problem. Well, I mean, basically, you were you ended up with a dense, impenetrable mass of prickly cactus. The cactus covered huge swaths of land. It was impossible to build on it, much less grow a crop. People began to abandon their farms, move away. The government decided they had to do something. Today, they might have just taken a bulldozer to it. But back then, getting rid of this cactus was a very prickly problem. But boy, did they try. They pushed it over, they chopped it up, they burnt it. They crushed it with rollers pulled by horses. They could feed it to cattle, but the cattle didn't like it that much. It wasn't that good for them. They tried to figure out if there was a way to use it in paper, alcohol, dye, or soap. No cigar. They used poisons, but in those days, the only one they had that actually killed it was arsenic pentoxide. And as the name tells you, it was a pretty nasty stuff. In fact, if you spray it on the soil two or three times, not much will grow in that soil for quite a long time. So it was a case of the cure being worse than the disease. Things were getting desperate. So desperate that the Crown offered a 5,000-pound reward, over 500,000 U.S. dollars in today's money, for anyone who could figure out a solution. Six years later, the Crown doubled that reward. It was never collected. And then... In 1912, a group of scientists formed the Prickly Pear Traveling Commission that traveled to other places where prickly pear lived, both native and introduced. Their goal? To identify natural enemies of the cactus. They were basically looking everywhere they could possibly find. The commission fanned out, searched high and low for a solution. And it was across the globe, in Argentina, where the researchers stumbled upon what they thought could be the key, an unremarkable little brown moth, Cactoblastis. The researchers packed up the Cactoblastis with a few other potential specimens. These little guys were poised to solve the greatest biological crisis Australia had faced to date. There was just one other obstacle, 
They had to somehow get the moths across the ocean from Argentina to Australia. Remember, this was in the early 1900s when air travel was nowhere near common. So the moths were facing an eight to 10 week journey across the globe in a ship. The researchers tenderly placed the insects in little wooden boxes wrapped in gauze. Along the way, the moths munched on pieces of prickly pear. And at last, the moths made it to the shores of Australia. And then they died. But researchers tried again. And the second time, the little guys made it. Researchers thoroughly tested the moth, made sure they didn't eat the native vegetation. And when it was time for the moment of truth, in 1926, researchers were ready to distribute 10 million Cactoblastis eggs. And those little larvae were ready to get to work. The very small larvae, when they hatch, they bore into the cactus. And they sometimes do have considerable difficulty eating through the tough outer skin. So they all go in together. Once they're inside, they eat out the cactus and they progressively turn it into basically a mush. A bit like if you've seen an apple go bad or inside of an orange it goes squish. Basically, the larvae eat the cactus from the inside out. When they've eaten one whole pad, then they all exit and they and move into another one, and so on down the plant. When they're fully fed, they spin a cocoon, and the moth comes out about a month later, and the cycle goes on. So all the damage is done by the larvae. They eat it, they wreck it, and they leave a sort of withered outer skin of the cactus. That's what's left behind. And the results were astonishing. By 1932... Just seven years after Cactoblastis made their successful transcontinental voyage, most of the prickly pear was destroyed. Suddenly, millions of acres of land were available again, no longer covered by a spiny prickly plant. Towns that had stalled since the 1920s began to come back to life. You can't overstate this transformation. If you look at before and after pictures of the time, It almost looks like a bomb dropped. Landscapes that were choked with a dense mass of cactus, just completely flattened and empty, wiped clean. All thanks to a plain little brown moth. Today, Cactoblastis is largely regarded as one of the most successful examples of pest plant control in history. A case where introducing a species worked exactly the way it was intended. Like many heroes, Cactoblastus got a commemoration. A wooden building with a metal roof in a town with 36 residents. Cactoblastus Memorial Hall, where weddings and meetings and town business happens. It may seem like an underwhelming tribute, but... I like to think that the Cactoblastus would be pleased with this memorial. That these little worker moths wouldn't want a shiny plaque or towering statue. A simple building that serves a simple but necessary purpose. Quietly doing its job and allowing daily life to chug along. Just like the insect it's named after. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. 
Our production team includes Dylan Thuris, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Johanna Mayer, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure they are always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com.